Hi, this is Corey Turner, and along with my wife Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. This week, I was thinking about um, all things sharing Jesus confidently, and I was thinking about all the things that we often conjure up or feel in the moments when we're um, sharing Jesus confidently. I don't know about you, but it's in my mind, there's things like someone could do this better than I could. <laughs> Ever had that thought? Uh, ever had the thought of, yeah, I don't know, I don't know, maybe I could bring them to this person and they could tell them because that, that, that would work better. <laughs> Ever been there? Yeah. yeah? So I think if, if I was to do a survey across the room and raise hands and all that, most majority of you would have this same experience. You would be able to relate to one another in that space. Can I tell you that I'm just the same as you? Like for me personally, I've had a burden for the lost and I desire that God would meet with people who don't know him. But I, I walk into those moments, I'm like, <gasps> Holy Spirit, <gasps> okay. You know, someone asks you a question around a dinner table with your friends, you're like, mm, <clears throat> yeah, <clears throat> <clears throat> sorry, a bit of water. <clears throat> so I, I want you to understand today that, that I'm, I'm not some super Spiro gun hero in these spaces. I'm just like you. The only difference is God pulled me out of a crowd and said, hey, I want you to lead the way in this space. Okay, so that, that is purely the only difference. And it makes no difference between you and I because we're all sons and daughters before God. And his gifts are given to us according to the measures that he gives to us. Okay, but we are all called to be disciples. And the Bible says that disciples are called to go and make disciples. Okay, so Mark chapter 16, verses 15 to 16. You won't see this one on the screen. So if you have got a Bible, you will want to open it up there. Um, Mark chapter 16. And I I want you to to hear this because um, I I feel like this is a kind of a, this is, this is the, um, this is the launching pad for what God wants to do. So I, I want you to hear this through the lens of Jesus coming to the disciples and speaking to them, but Jesus perhaps may be coming to us today and speaking to us. It says this, Afterwards he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table. And he rebuked them for their unbelief and their hardness of heart because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. Can I just make mention here, I believe that the Spirit of God is coming to us today and saying to us individually and as a church, we're not just to sit and recline at the table and enjoy. It's not his intent that we would be a for and no more kind of church or me and my holy huddle kind of a church. He's saying, disciples, I want you to awake up to this. I told you these things were going to come. I told you these things were going to happen. And yet you're sitting here just reclining when my, my mandate was go make disciples. Go make disciples. So quite harsh words when you consider it. When Jesus uses the word rebuke, you kind of feel like, oh. <laughs> but we need to put ourselves in this position today because our unbelief that God actually wants to use us prevents God from actually doing what he wants to do across the earth. 
I would suggest to you today that there'd be more Christians in, on the earth if Christians actually did what they were called to do. If we actually shared our faith with people, we would have more chance of more disciples being made and there'd be more Christians. And the reason we don't have many Christians across the earth is because the Christians stopped sharing. Or let me put it to you like this. Maybe the Christians decided they couldn't share, didn't feel equipped to share, so they decided to slip into the pattern of corporate church and be like, I'll invite my friends to church. They'll get saved at church. The church will disciple them. And that'd be that. Let me tell you some good news today. You are the church. The church is not this building. It's not this room. You are the church. So as individuals, as individuals, I spoke to us about the reality of our responsibility to steward the good news of the gospel. We each have a responsibility to share the good news with somebody. That is our role as believers. But I love this because when Jesus finished rebuking them and saying, hey, why are you reclining at the table? I've got you on mission it was their unbelief. Now, most of us in the room would say, I, I believe that God could use me. <clears throat> when it comes to, I believe God could use me to share the good news of the gospel with somebody, we're like, well, maybe. <laughs> yeah, because I've been there. But God is saying to us that he actually wants us to step into the fullness of what he has for us. And it's almost been like a bit of a rebuke. You've seen the process of, of life in church in the moment. It's been like a bit of a, um, a corporate sense of repentance. There's been a, a turning back to God. There's been a turn to your first love. There's been a turn to all these things. And I believe God's calling us back to the first mission, the only mission that matters. And he says this. He says, go into the world and proclaim the gospel. The word proclaim means to open your mouth. Simple. To the whole of creation, and whoever believes is, will be, and is baptised will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And those signs will accompany, sorry, these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. Hello. Did you know you're an everyday believer that can cast out demons? They will speak new tongues. Now, this isn't the leaders of the church, the pastors, the ministers, the professionals, the elite, Right? This is believers. This is who we are. We're disciples. So we will cast out demons. We will speak in new tongues. We will pick up serpents with our hands and drink deadly poison and not be hurt. We will lay our hands on the sick and they will recover. So basically, summary, we as believers, we will turn our world upside down. Um, I had anyone here been listening to the SJC podcast? That's out? Okay. Let me get right two hands. Awesome. Let me give you a plug right now. There is an, we've done an SJC podcast that I've done where I've interviewed different guests to introduce people to how to be equipped and sharing stories and things like that often works best. So let me just give you a bit of a recap. We had Ben on there. We've had Stacey, Pastor Joe. We've had a number of different people. But just this week, I've recorded a couple of sessions with a guy who is a, um, he works in the marketplace as a curtain hanger, hangs up curtains and he is just a man on fire sharing Jesus with people everywhere he goes. Now, he tells the most insane stories about people being delivered and set free from demons. Now, some of us are kind of like, I don't know how I feel about that. Because like, you're like, what would I do when I get there? What would happen? Like, so, but Jesus actually paints a picture for us of what that looks like in Scripture. He shows us how to deal with those things. 
He, he showed his disciples how to deal, it, deal with them and then he sent them out to go and do it. And they came back and they're like, God, Jesus, you wouldn't believe this, this is what happened. This done. And he's like, yeah, <laughs> rejoice that your name is in the Lamb's Book of Life. <laughs> but they were so passionate and excited about the fact that, that, that they were being used by the Spirit of God in those spaces and places to set people free. Now, this is what we are called to. It doesn't say they may follow you. It says they will follow you. It's an inevitable component. How many of us have cast a demon out of someone? Confronting question, right? Because are we, are we disciples? Can I get a good indication? We all believe we're disciples, yes? Great. Do we all believe that we're called to lay hands on the sick, they shall recover and cast demons out when we lay hands? Okay. How many of us have actually done that? Couple. Yeah. Okay, so this is what I'm saying. There's some gaps missing in our space of discipleship. And we need to grow into these spaces because Jesus has actually called us to turn our world upside down. So that's what it looks like. But how do we turn our worlds upside down? How do we actually go through these things? Because most of us are stuck at the place of, I'm a believer, I go to church on Sunday, but on Monday through to Friday, I'm a Christian in quiet. I'm a Christian in private. I'm a Christian in my family. But what does it look like outside of the four walls of those things? Because I believe that God is wanting to step us into new spaces where we share Jesus confidently, where the power of God is manifested, where people are made well and made whole and healed, where people are set free and delivered and restored and redeemed from being filled with demons, to people who are literally raised from the dead. Anyone here raised anyone from the dead recently? Right? I'm in good company. You're in good company. Let's just, let's just be straight up honest. And, and, and I find myself confronted by these things because I know that God is calling us to deeper and deeper and deeper things in Him as believers. And we can't have gaps in our discipleship. So who wants to know how to turn their world upside down? Or right side up, I should say. <laughs> Okay, turn with me to Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through to 9. Now, I'm going to say this. The guy I interviewed on the, interview, on the podcast with me, he shared some crazy stories of demon manifestations, of things that happened in people's worlds in the moments they were exposed to the good news of the gospel. And I, I cannot today unpack the, the amount of content that came out of those sessions, but I'm telling you, these things are for real in people's worlds and in people's lives. And when people are set free, it changes everything and it changes a generation because it affects one that then affects a whole generation. But I encourage you to get the podcast. If you type up, if you search my name in Spotify, or if you go to YouTube and type in Sharing Jesus Confidently, there's video versions as well as audio versions. And I honestly believe it'll be equipping. They're only 20 minute sessions. And we simply interview the person, ask them, get some practical things that you can do to help you in some of these spaces. Because I can't do that in all of this today. Yeah, I've done 10 sessions of like about 20, 25 minutes each. We've got like half hour. <laughs> okay, so get yourself into the podcast and on the video. <clears throat> It'll be beneficial for you. Okay, Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through to 9. And it says this, Now when they, being Paul and Silas, had passed through Amphiliophis and Apollyana, they came to Thessalonica. There, were a, there was a synagogue of Jews. <clears throat> 
and Paul went in as was a custom. Custom, if you want to look into the word, get an understanding, custom is habit. Can I just say this, free tip? Make church a habit. Don't make it an option. Don't make it, if I'm not tired, I'll go. Or if I didn't get home too late the night before, I'll go. Make it a habit. Make it a custom in your life. And can I also say for the parents here with kids, don't make church optional. Because if you show your kids that church is optional, your kids will treat church like it's irrelevant. Okay? I honestly cannot tell you how important it is to have your kids in church. I've been in ministry now for 20 years and I've seen it over and over and over again. These words are in the Bible for good reason. When we read the word custom, we have to understand it and understand why does it say that. It means habit. So get in the habit of making church your priority on a Sunday. Week in, week out. Don't let other things come in and take your Sunday. Keep the day for God on a Sunday. Keep it. Keep it holy. Keep it out in the space of being together with God's people and, and worshipping him. Is that cool? Free one, sorry. And then on the th- three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and, for the, um, and to rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas as did a many sorry, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. Really confusing, but basically what it means is a lot. (laughs) The Jews were jealous and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob and set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason. Everyone say Jason. Seeking to bring him out into the crowd. And they went and could not find them. They dragged Jason out and some of his brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Now Jason had received them, and they are acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, King Jesus. And the people of the city and the authorities were disturbed. And when they heard when they heard these things, and when they had taken the money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Summary is this. They didn't find Paul and Silas hanging out at Jason's place, but they expected to find him there. As a result, they were like, well, we'll just take Jason. It's his house. He's got the right, he's got the crew with him. That's what we're going to do. They take him. There's no charges against him. And like, basically they're like, we'll take some money from you. <laughs> Take some security from you so that you don't upset the, the, the town that we are currently in, in Thessalonica. Now, what I want to do, to, do, to do with you today is take you back and help you understand this passage of Scripture. The Bible says that they turned their city upside down. How they did that was through the proclamation of the gospel. Now, the proclamation of the gospel means to open your mouth, to share the good news. Okay, now this whole city was turned upside down that the religious people and the authorities got involved. They weren't happy with what was happening as a result of King Jesus being shared. Now, I love this passage because it points out a couple of things to me. Firstly, it points out to me that there was Paul and Silas, then it points out to me that there was Jason and some brothers. 
many more than one. So I'm going to assume that there's maybe about six people in that space. Maybe more, but let's say as a minimum, six. Now they have gone into the city of Thessalonica and started to proclaim the good news of the gospel. And as a result, it says that it turned the world upside down. Now, let, let's, let's be honest. Maybe there's a little bit of an exaggeration there because then it says that it was the city authorities that they had gathered. <laughs> but maybe, just maybe, they were making reference to the fact that from Jerusalem all the way through, that the world had been turned upside down by the gospel. Could you imagine the south suburbs of Melbourne being turned upside down by the gospel? I don't know how you feel about the idea of having someone knock on your door or come and take you and your brothers and your sisters and your family and, and, and you know, torture you and have a go at you and then take money from you because you shared the good news of the gospel. But most of us are probably just pretty fearful of what our friends will think. Most of us get stuck in a place, well, what if they reject me? What if they won't listen to what I have to say? Or what if... I lose my friendship with them. All really relevant and real things. And I don't want to minimise those things because they have an emotional component to them that's real. But can I just provoke you with this? For those who don't know, I am the evangelist, so known and well to be the agitator, so please forgive me. (laughs) But literally, you're concerned about their rejection of you here What if you were to think about the reality of on the other side of this life, they come to you and they say, why didn't you tell me? You had every opportunity and you didn't tell me. Why? If this this was so important that this life was this and eternity is forever and you didn't tell me, why didn't you tell me? Let that stir you emotionally because that is the greatest cry of the heart of God. He says it's his desire that none would perish and that all men would know him. And he gave us the due responsibility to be able to share that good news with other people. But we're never meant to do it on our own or solo. You may have opportunities where you have a conversation with somebody on a solo, but I want to break down the mindset today for us that this is a, indiv- like, this is a thing that we just go out and do with somebody on the street one-on-one. This is, I, I want to break away from that mindset because that's, that's, that, those things are great and they do that and it works and I've seen it and I'm very appreciative of it. And if you feel gifted and called to go do that, that's awesome, do it. But I'm talking about, okay, I guarantee that right across this room right now, there are three people within each of your worlds that you know that don't know Jesus. Three people. How much of a difference could it make in this world with three of your friends being saved, three of your family members being saved? How much of a difference could it make in this suburb if there were three more Christians for you individually? How much more light would there be in a dark world? Because each of you are called to be the light of the world. So help me me with this, go on this journey with me. When you start to think, I say three, you're, you're already thinking, and I guarantee you that there are, you're in here and you, there's more than three. But let's just say three at a minimum. Look around the room right now, and this is the influence of the church right now in this room in the southern parts of Melbourne. Now what I want you to do is picture this influence times three. 
Because you can, you can change the world of one person, but you're probably not going to change the world alone. But you could change the world of one person through bringing them in, having a conversation, sharing your world with them, and then as you bring them in, exposing them to a greater influence than that they've known. See, when you talk to them one-on-one, it's, hard, it's, it's more like, oh, yeah, that's, that's your thing. But when you bring your friends into a barbecue and you're like, okay, for every unbeliever, I'm going to have two believers. So you bring in six, six of, now, now I can't do maths. If you bring in six of your believing friends, th- three of your unbelieving friends, and you have them over for a barbecue, there is an exposure that enables a greater influence than just you simply sharing. Let me put it to you like this. If I sit here and start to talk to you about the reality of, okay, let's just, let's pretend um, I come in here today and I say, you know what, I need to tell you all, last night a UFO came down and picked me up and I went up into the space and I saw aliens and dirt, 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 and I started to speak all of these things to you and I had this conversation with you. You'd all look at me and be like, you're crazy. Am I right? A lot of the time that's how your friends feel about your Christian faith because the, the what you believe in is simply unbelievable. <laughs> okay? So that's how your Christian friends feel when you share your faith. But when you bring them into an environment where there's four or five, six other believers and you're all just hanging out and chilling out, we're not, we're not talking like jump on a soapbox and start preaching. I'm talking you're just hanging out. And someone just happens in a conversation to ask a question that provokes something that then says they're at church or something that happened in their life that happened as a result of meeting Jesus and something shifted and something changed. And they're in a room full of six other people that believe the same thing. How much more believable is it to that person who is being ministered to? So I... I, I want to help you in this space to understand. It's been previously things have been said like this. It's like friendship evangelism. Well, friendship evangelism is let, let me go to the gym, find a non-Christian, be friends with them, and then hopefully I'll get a chance to pro- proclaim the gospel. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about <clears throat> bringing your friends into a space where they are exposed to more Christians where there's influence. What do they say about Christians most of the time once they meet them? Most people say they're kind. They're hospitable, they're loving, or they'll say something along the lines of, Christians, you could, these, these group of friends, you won't even refer to them as Christians because don't, please don't go, oh, here's all my Christian friends and my non-Christian friends. Because what we typically do is go, here's my Christian friends and I go hang out with them on this weekend and here's my un-Christian friends and I go hang out over here with them over here. It's not helpful. When Jesus did life and ministry on the, in the, on the ground, he was hanging out with sinners and tax collectors and harlots, but he had a crew with him. Okay, so I want to talk to you about the power of evangelism in your friendship world, in the people that you're hanging out with and bringing them together. Is that okay? And I feel really strongly that there will be a significant shift in your effectiveness in evangelism if you take off the weight and responsibility of trying to have a one-on-one conversation with somebody, but bring them into a space where it's a one-on-one conversation that is supported by other believers. Okay? So things that often get said, like I said before, is that Christians are so wise. Majority of the time that people, they're like, oh, man, you're friends, not Christians, because I know that they're Christians, you know that they're Christians. But people will say, they're like, man, you're friends, they're, they're just... 
They're so wise. Where do they get this wisdom from? Like, what do they like? What do they do for work? And they're always asking questions. But the beautiful thing of it is, is that you actually don't even need to say anything in those spaces because they just see it and start to call it out. Yeah. Right. But when the moment comes when you sense the Holy Spirit saying, "Now is the time," I guarantee you, when He says it, it's all on. Because the Holy Spirit's the one who convicts. We are to be light to the world. We are to be salt to the world. We are to be ones who to be carriers of the presence of God in situations and environments with our friendships that expose them to those things. Okay? So this is what I see in this passage. I see Paul and Silas, Jason and some brothers all doing this together, not in isolation. Now, firstly, let's go look at what Paul and Silas did. Important. Firstly, it says in verse 2, Paul went in, and as was his custom, on three Sabbath days. Dude, the guy was there three weeks and he turned the world upside down. Some of us have been at this for 30 years. Some of us have been at this for three years. I'm, I'm praying for the day we get to turn our world upside down and have a greater influence in our communities. But anyway, okay. Three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them he reasoned with them. Okay, let me tell you this. Reason, the word reason here means a dialogue with people and answering questions. <clears throat> How many questions do your unchristian friends or non-Christian friends have? Because this is what Paul did. He reasoned with them. So let me say this. The only other way I could put this to you is that conversations actually open up the hearts of unbelievers. So like I said before, you have to bring them into an environment where they can have a conversation. Bring them into a space where they can actually meet some other people and have questions answered without having to go, okay, on my soapbox, here comes the gospel. Jesus loves you and you need to repent and you need to be like, no, no, no. Answer the questions that they're asking. Answer the questions that they're asking. Have the conversations that open up the hearts of unbelievers. Now, I'll say this to you. Um, discipleship is not what you do once you meet Christ. Most people think that discipleship starts after you meet Jesus. Can I just break that down to you and say it's, it's not right? Discipleship is from pre-Christ through to full maturity. Jesus is interested in the discipleship of an unbeliever becoming a believer and becoming a fully mature believer. Okay, so what happens is, is as an example, I've got a friend. I've been hanging out with her for eight years. I have been sharing with her the love of Jesus. I've been sharing with her the stories in my life. I've been sharing with her the miracles that God is doing. I've been sharing with her the prophetic words that I've been getting through church. Because we're friends, we can talk about deep things. She talks about what matters to her. Therefore, when I talk about what matters to me, she listens because I've listened to her. Now, she's not a believer, but can I say this? She's probably more discipled than most believers because she understands the prophetic. She understands spiritual gifts. She understands all of these things. And all we're waiting for right now is for the Holy Spirit to bring conviction that leads her into the space of a decision to saying yes to Jesus. But she's being discipled. Now, all of your friends are in the same space. I don't know how far away they are from the cross right now, but you need to know you can't fail in sharing the gospel. When you have one conversation, it moves them from a place of no awareness to some awareness. Hallelujah, that's one step. <laughs> have another conversation, it leads them from that space to this, and all of a sudden it's another step. 
So what I'm talking about with you today is that conversations actually open up the hearts of unbelievers. When you have the conversation and it's, it's, it's not you trying to slam the gospel down their throat, it's you just having conversation that actually opens up their hearts. And this is what happened for Paul and Silas. Okay, now let's go to verse 3. It says that he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. From the Scriptures, explaining these things. Okay, let me say this. He was explaining the Scriptures to them. He was speaking Scripture over with the people. You know, the people that you're in the world in the world with unbelievers and things like that, you don't actually need to wait until they're a Christian before you share Scriptures with them. Now, I'm not talking about pull your Bible out, slap them over the head and go, look, this is what the Bible says, this chapter, this verse, and da-da-da-da-da, right? I'm talking about when you talk about the things of God, you're bringing Scripture into their world and chewing over and mulling over conversation around Scripture. Now, those things come natural and come easy when you're actually in the Word. So let me give you that tip. Get in the Word as a disciple, become like him, we'll start to share more with other people. As a result, we've got something to share. Yeah? Scriptures shared provide a way for truth to be revealed. Wisdom shared. People don't actually care where it came from, but when they hear it and it sparks something in their heart, they want it. It's like, where did you get that from? I'll often use... I'll often use Proverbs and Psalms and different things out of the Bible and and bring them into conversation and just drop them. And I'm not going, now Proverbs chapter 17 verse 4 says, right? I'm literally being like, you know, I'll drop a scripture with them and be something along. Now I'm stumped having a conversation with you. Um, I'll literally drop something as an example into the conversation that's like, well, you know, I honestly believe that, you know, God is the one who opens up the doors and the steps for me to walk through. I make my plans, but ultimately those things are submitted to God or, you know, like whatever, right? That's scripture. Okay, so I'm dropping scripture, but what it does is it literally allows them to chew over the things of the word. Now, the Bible says that the word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword, that it cuts between the spirit and between the flesh. If you want to see transformation in your friends, I tell you right now, conversations and scripture is massive. But you don't have to pull the Bible out. You don't have to slap them up the head. You don't have to scripture quote and verse. Like, just be authentically you and let what is in you come out of you. Yeah? Okay, number three. In verse three, it continued on. It said, it says that he was explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and for the dead, uh, for the right, um, and to rise from the dead. Okay? Paul proved that Jesus was who he says he was, and that it was necessary for him to die. Can I say this? The word proved here means that he presented evidence to them. Proving to them. So he had this understanding about what Jesus had done in him, for him, and now through him. And you and I are no different. When we think about it like this, our lives are evidence of the power of God at work. Would you agree? Is anyone here a different person since they came to know Jesus? <laughs> yeah. Did anyone have stuff fall off them as a result of knowing Jesus? 
broken off your life, set free, changed, addiction's gone. Like I'm talking God, his power at work in our life changes us, right? So when Paul presented his life, his life actually proved the power of Jesus at work. So Paul's life proved that Jesus' power was at work. Now, let me take you to 1 Corinthians chapter, one, uh, chapter 2, where Paul is famous for have said, have, having said these words. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through to 5, he says, that's the wrong passage, that's helpful. He says, brothers, I did not come to you proclaiming to use the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Christ crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not with plausible words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith may not rest on the wisdom of men, but in the power of of God. Paul's life proved that Jesus' power was at work. His life was a demonstration. Can I suggest to you today that you and I are in the same boat? We have a testimony. We have how Jesus changed our life, and it is the evidence of what God has done and is able to do in someone else's life. And when we share that, we're giving the demonstration of the power of God at work in our lives. So, Understand this, when, when you have a testimony and you get the opportunity to share that, man, you want that thing practiced. You want that thing known back to front. You want that not just to be an off-the-cuff moment, oh, here's my moment, I get to share. You want to have sat down. And if you go through the Sharing Jesus Confidently course, it'll teach you how to sit down and tell your story and to unpack it, your life before Christ, when you met Christ and life after Christ. It's powerful and helpful to have that framework in your mind and understanding it so that when you go to speak it, it makes sense to someone who's listening. Is that okay? All right, lastly, verse 6, 3 and 6 says of that in Acts that literally... He announced the gospel. He said it was necessary that Jesus was to die. And then in verse 6 says, when they could not find him, they dragged Jason out, the authorities, and they, uh, sorry, turned the world upside down. I've actually misrepresented the scripture. Can you see it on screen? Because I can't. Okay, the Jesus I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded. See, Jesus was proclaimed. They announced the gospel message, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And the good news, that's where we went to verse 6, the good news turned the world upside down. The spoken word, Romans Chapter 10, verse 14 and 15 says, How can they know if they have not heard? And how can they hear if no one would go to preach or no one would go to speak of this good news to them? So the proclamation, the actual speaking of the gospel is what transformed it and turned the world upside down. This is good news, guys, because it's not anything that we manufacture. It's simply by sharing what we already know and what he's already done for us. I started with Mark 16. I'm going to finish with Mark 16, verse 20. I want you to capture this. Because it was after Jesus had spoken to them, 
that this is what they did. It says in verse 20 that they went and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. Let me say this. You don't go alone. He goes with you. And when he goes with you, those things will accompany you. You'll see people healed. You'll see people set free. You'll see people delivered. You'll see people accept Christ. And you'll see the accompanying signs that transform and turn a world upside down. Now, let me say this. Don't have time to unpack this with you, but 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 is actually the church that was established here in Acts chapter 17. So when we turn over and go to the book of Thessalonians, the first chapter is actually written to these people. And when that went to those people, that was an absolute game changer because they then did exactly what Paul did here in Acts chapter 17. The believers in Thessalonica, literally, it says in verse 6 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, it says, they became imitators of us and the Lord and received the word in much affliction and with joy of the Holy Spirit. They imitated Paul and Jesus. And all I can say to you, when, when we do that, this is what happened. It says here, and I'm going to read it to you because it is that powerful. It says in verse 5, the gospel came not only into you in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. And you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And we became imitators of us and the Lord. And you received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit so that you became an example to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we may not need to say anything. Guys, their lives turned up two more cities upside down, so much so that Paul didn't have to go and preach. Imagine what could happen here in the south suburbs of Melbourne if we took our responsibility and decided to engage in evangelism and the proclamation of the gospel in our communities with the people and friends that we have in our worlds. Imagine what that could look like. Imagine if the three people that you know in your world, maybe even more, that have come to your mind over this, over this message, imagine them coming into a powerful encounter with a living God and then what that could have an effect on where they might live and where they might be. I'm telling you this, the good news is good. It hasn't changed. But what we're missing in this, in this generation is people who would actually proclaim the good news. And when these guys here in Thessalonica had experienced what they experienced in Acts chapter 17 because their worlds were turned upside down because Paul, Silas, Jason and the brothers were there, this literally became their world. They became an example to all. They lived out their faith. They preached so Paul didn't have to say anything. They shared their story. Check out this in verse 9. It says, For they themselves report concerning the kind of reception we had among you, how you turned from to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. 
Can I just say to you, it was their story that they went out and started telling. When they started to share the good news of what Jesus had done, it was their stories that impacted their cities. And lastly, in verse 10, it says there that they waited for Jesus' return. The thing that really actually propelled the gospel back at that point of time was that Jesus said he was coming back again. Five points of the gospel that I teach, the last point is that he is coming back again. And this is the urgency for why we do what we do. We treat it like we've got all the time in the life in the world. But the reality is life is but a breath and it can be gone in a moment. But when we live like the disciples live with the expectation and the urgency that Jesus was coming back again and we live in this space where we live knowing and waiting for his son, not passively, but patiently waiting actively with a sense of endurance and expectation and sharing with as many people possible. Imagine what that could look like. Now let me finish with this. You're all here because someone shared good news with you. That's the reason you're here. Because some disciples back then did what they were told to do, to go into all the world and make disciples, which all started in a land very far away from here. But today, you and I sit here in this space because someone shared the good news with us. Are you grateful someone shared the good news for you, with you? Imagine how grateful your friends will be when you share the good news with them. It's okay. Awesome. And I ask you to stand on your feet. I know today's word is always a hard-hitting word when it's an evangelism word because it cuts to the heart, gets to business, and it can be really confronting. But this is what we're going to do in this moment is I've asked Steph to come up and to lead us in worship and just to sing over us. We're not going to sing any particular song, but what I want you to do is I want you to begin to think about the three people that God has highlighted to you through the process of this conversation today. And I want you to begin to think about what does life look like? What does life look like if I was to invite them into my world and into my friendship world and expose them to more believers? What does it look like if I begin to open my mouth, share, proclaim and have the opportunity? And what the change would be as a result? And then what I want you to do is I want you to ask, Holy Spirit, can you do in me what needs to be done so I can become this person, so I can become the disciple that you've called me to be? Because we can't do it in our own strength. Anything in our own strength never produces any fruit. The Bible says, John chapter 15, abide in me and you will produce fruit. You will be fruitful. So right now, why don't you open up your hands like you're ready to receive a gift because I believe that God wants to drop and deposit into each and every single one of you today individually this gift, this grace, to be able to share Jesus confidently. The Bible says, do the work of an evangelist. We're all called. We're all laborers. And the Holy Spirit's going to show us what to do, how we can do it, and whom he wants us to do it with. 
So Jesus, right now, I thank you that you're here, that you're present. I thank you right now, Jesus, that in this moment, you've made us aware of the people in our lives. That God, you have made us aware today that you actually want to see the southern suburbs of Melbourne turned upside down. That you actually want to see a church that would not simply exist for itself, but would exist to reach people like those in Thessalonica realised what they had received, that they had freely given to others and had shared and turned two more cities, suburbs, upside down. (laughs) And so, oh God, I ask right now, would you release a wave of your spirit across this room? Would you release a wave of your power across this room? God Almighty, would you come open up heaven over this moment and let our hearts be completely compelled by the Father to be about the Father's business and to know how we're to do that. God, right now I ask, deposit in us all that we need. Jesus name. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died, and rose again, conquering sin, Satan, and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.